0: The time is now! Volume 4, Episode 73. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, your host and the Vice Chair of Labor and Employment here at Cozen O'Connor. It's uh, really been fewer and further between uh, in terms of the episodes where I've taken a break from talking about all things coronavirus, legal, practical, return to work. But Today, we have a development in labor and employment uh, that really does warrant breaking into our all things coronavirus coverage uh, and giving you a little bit of a sense of what took place. Actually, a groundbreaking decision from the United States Supreme Court. You had a lot of pundits uh, thinking that it was going to go the way it did, but there were plenty of those who uh, weren't sure or didn't think so, given the political makeup of the justices on the Supreme Court. There will be more to say and certainly more to dissect about this in the coming days, but I wanted to get to you first today uh, to talk about exactly what happened and what it means for employers. So what happened? Well, we've got a trio of cases. Uh, The lead case was Gerald Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. In each case, the employee was fired for being either a homosexual or transgender. Each of the three employees sued under federal law, Title VII. That prohibits sex discrimination. In other words, discrimination because of sex, among other enumerated protected characteristics. And the issue at stake in all three of these cases was whether the term because of sex includes homosexuality or transgender status. Well, had the Supreme Court get this case, as it tends to quite often, If not primarily, the United States Supreme Court got this case because there was a split between the circuit courts of appeals on this particular issue. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals held that Title VII does cover, does prohibit uh, homosexual and transgender status, and so two of the three employees who sued in these actions were able to proceed with their cases. However, on the other side, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals expressly held that Title VII does not prohibit firing someone because the individual is gay. And therefore, one of the three employees were not able to proceed with his case. So all three cases made it up together to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, and the court resolved the conflict just today in favor of recognizing a broad interpretation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act Title VII to include a prohibition against firing an individual merely because the individual is a homosexual or transgender. Now this is kind of groundbreaking for a couple of reasons. First, for those who are interested in the politics or the sort of scorecard aspect of how the vote came down, this was a 6-3 to three majority vote. With two of the conservative judges, the conservative judges, Justice Neil Gorsuch and Chief Justice John Roberts, joining the court's four liberal justices to find that, in fact, the Title VII ban on sex discrimination covers sexual orientation and gender identity. In fact, uh, the opinion, the majority opinion, begins right away by saying, quote, few pieces of federal legislation rank in significance with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, end quote. So this decision is groundbreaking in the sense that it really charts a new course to interpret this significant piece of legislation. The second reason I think it's groundbreaking is really one of timing. Given the civil rights protests uh, and all that is happening right now in the middle of this tragic coronavirus pandemic, uh, all of the civil rights issues stemming from primarily the tragedy that took place uh, in Minneapolis, given that, given the fact that June is LGBT Pride Month, I think that really just adds a little something extra to this groundbreaking decision that was just issued by the United States Supreme Court. So I want to give you um, a little bit of the rationale uh, for what the court did, why the court did it, and then what does it mean for employers and for businesses. So first, let's start with the rationale. The court started with a fundamental premise that the court says, in its majority opinion, is a straightforward rule. The fundamental premise is that intentional discrimination under Title VII occurs if an employer intentionally relies in part on an individual's sex in taking an adverse employment action. Put another way, according to the decision, if changing the employee's sex would have yielded a different choice or a different action by the employer, well then Title VII has been violated. The individual sex doesn't have to be the sole or the primary factor. If the decision was made, if the action was taken in part because of the individual sex, that is enough for a Title VII violation. The second premise, discrimination on the basis of homosexuality or transgender status necessarily means that the employer is treating an individual differently because of sex. Now hold on to that thought because in a moment I'm just going to refer to the dissent in this case because this is really an interesting part of the whole decision. Discrimination on the basis of homosexuality or transgender status necessarily means the employer is treating an individual differently because of sex. The court's decision says it is impossible to discriminate because an individual is homosexual or transgender without discriminating because of sex what's interesting about this part of the decision is that the court's majority concedes fairly expressly that homosexuality and transgender status are distinct concepts from sex so the decision really isn't saying that homosexuality and transgender status are the same as sex-based discrimination. But what the majority does say is, quote, homosexuality and transgender status are inextricably bound up with sex, end quote. So maybe it's semantics, maybe it's not, but they're not exactly saying that the concepts are the same. In fact, they're saying that they are different concepts. But what they are saying is you cannot have action taken because of homosexuality, or transgender status without, in fact, discriminating because of sex. All of these concepts are so inextricably bound, so says the court. So you put those two fundamental premises, those two premises together, and the decision that this majority reached is as follows. Quote, an employer who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. Sex plays a necessary and undisguisable role in the decision, exactly what Title VII forbids. A fairly straightforward rule that took a little more than 50 pages, um, actually a little more than 100 pages uh, to go through, but in the end a fairly straightforward rule. The court rejected several arguments that were advanced by employers. The employers argued uh, in these cases that the statute, Title VII, was written back in 1964 and Congress would not have contemplated affording protection to homosexual and transgender individuals. The court, however, rejected that, saying that there is no need to resort to legislative history when there is no ambiguity in the terms, the court actually looked at what it believed are the plain and obvious definitions of the principal terms in Title Seven, Terms like sex, terms like because of, discriminate, and individual. The court had several very interesting quotes and in this regard rejecting that argument advanced by the employers the majority said quote but the limits of the drafters imagination supply no reason to ignore the laws demands it continued only the written word is the law and all persons are entitled to its benefit so in the end at least for individual disparate treatment claims the court said that the outcome of these cases does not depend on how an employer treats one class or how the treatment of one class may stack up against the treatment of another class. The only thing that matters, the court keeps coming back to, is if the individual at issue suffers an adverse action in part because of that individual's sex. Period. End of story. And again, the majority said it is very clear Just by looking at the plain terms of the statute, homosexuality and transgender status are inextricably bound up with sex, and you cannot discriminate against somebody because that individual is homosexual or transgender without discriminating, at least in part, because of sex. The dissent, well, the dissent pointed out uh, its objection to what the majority was doing. The dissent started out by saying, you know, the court is legislating. The court is not interpret- interpreting a statute, even though that's what it's claiming to do. The court is legislating because sexual orientation and gender identity are not concepts that are enumerated in Title VII's prohibited list. Therefore, if you're going to add those concepts, which the dissent points out, the majority acknowledged or distinct concepts from sex, if you were going to add new concepts to the list, a court shouldn't be the one to do that. It should be Congress. The question according to the dissent isn't whether discrimination based on these issues should be outlawed. The question to the dissent is whether Congress did outlaw them back in 1964 when drafting the language that is contained in Title VII. But again, that's the dissent. As it stands, based on this decision, 6-3 majority of the United States Supreme Court said that Title VII does prohibit discrimination based on homosexuality and transgender status because it constitutes discrimination based on sex. Well, so now let's take a look at what the decision really means. For a lot of jurisdictions, and for the employers in those jurisdictions, it doesn't mean a lot from a practical standpoint. What do I mean by that? Many jurisdictions, New York being one of them, but there are a lot, already have state and local laws that have for some time included sexual orientation, transgender status, gender identity, as protected classes in their anti-discrimination statutes. So whether or not federal law included those issues within its prohibition really didn't make a difference because employers in those states that already included those concepts in their anti-discrimination statutes, well, you were already prohibited from discriminating against individuals on those bases. However, that does ignore the reality that there still are many states that don't have state and local laws including homosexuality, sexual orientation, gender identity as protected classes. And there certainly are a tremendous number of people in that community who reside or who work in those states that don't have those types of protections. So for those jurisdictions this is a significant decision just from a legal and a practical standpoint because now you have federal law the law of the land the national law title seven protecting individuals based on their sexual orientation and transgender status so what do you as an organization need to do again many of you may have already been doing this because of the laws that apply in your jurisdiction where you have employees or where you're uh, doing business But even if you were, these are uh, some things that are worth thinking about and really, again, resetting your mindset. It's important to review your policies. Whether this interpretation of federal law is new to you or whether it's consistent with what your state and local laws are already saying, it's good to review and, if necessary, update your policies. Number two, as I always say, it's not enough to just create and update written policies and stick them in a drawer. We need to give life to them. Your policies, your practices, your protocols need to be living, breathing documents, particularly for those individuals, those frontline managers and supervisors who are on the front lines dealing with your organization's employees on a day-to-day basis. So you better train those individuals to the extent they have not been trained to understand the broadened, the broadening nature of the protected classes that state and local laws uh, have afforded and now what Title VII affords as a protection, they need to understand that and your training needs to include that. It's also not just about discrimination. It's not just about taking a discrete adverse action, whether it's firing or something short of that. We're also talking about harassment and retaliation. And your organization would be wise to train your employees, particularly your supervisors and managers, to understand, again, that discrimination protections continue to be broadened, and this Supreme Court decision just did that. But also, it's not just about taking an adverse action and discriminating against somebody in a particular decision. It's about harassment. You can have sexual orientation harassment, just like you can have age harassment, disability harassment. You can have retaliation because somebody engages in protected activity. Maybe it's complaining internally or externally about potential discriminatory actions. So they need to understand how the protected classes have been and will likely continue to be broadened They need to understand that it's not just about discrimination it's also about harassment and retaliation that cannot exist in a workplace that is respectful of its demographics and of the differences that you otherwise enjoy with your diverse workplace so that's it for today a real significant decision from the united states supreme court Uh, And, uh, again, you'll be hearing a lot more about it in the coming days and weeks, but I wanted to get this out to you just to let you know where things are and what exactly happened. Um, So please reach out if you have any questions. As always, I appreciate all of your feedback. We'll continue to talk about all things coronavirus, I suspect. But uh, we'll also continue to keep you updated on the significant developments and trends in labor and employment law generally. Until the next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and I hope all of your labor is productive.